Infrastructure is crumbling and the problems are only getting worse. The pressure to find solutions is hot. Let's talk about why American cities have no water, no electricity, and no money to fix their infrastructure problems. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast, hosted by Chad Smelter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. My name is Chad Smelter. I am your host. Today's guest is Clarence Whitwer, who is the Assistant City Manager at the city of Sweeney, Texas. Thank you for joining me, Clarence. Glad to be here. We'll get started. Well, Clarence, thank you again for joining me. And, um, you know, one of the things we do in the podcast is learn more about you. You have a ton of experience in infrastructure. I went through your background a little bit. You started Army Engineering, but you, you started before that as a laborer and then you went into the army can you give us a little why did you get into public works so i mean i went into public works right out of school but also went into the army national guard at the same time i actually went in as the split training program when i was still a junior in high school i don't even know if they still offer that program but you basically go in you do your basic training between junior and senior year finish your senior year and then come back and uh, and then you know finish your advanced training afterwards but um, like most people, we like to joke in our business that uh, we, we never know very few people in this business choose this business. It kind of chooses you by accident, happenstance, whatever you want to call it. But with me, it was, it was very simple. It was my my uncle worked for the city of Lago, which is here near NASA in this area and just a small city with mostly at the time astronauts had some WWF wrestlers that lived there and kind of a, on the upscale side. But there was two two public works employees. It was my uncle and myself. So I started there and oh, wow. needed a job and, and, and work, you know, from there, I moved on to the city of Seabrook and that's how I got in utilities from there. So, um, I definitely didn't choose it. I, uh, didn't know city government and public works and, uh, public servants service was a thing, you know, other than what I knew of police officers and fire and things like that. So it was definitely right. new. Yeah, no, that's good insight. So uh, what made you want to go in the Army, though? I'm curious. Um, for me, it, again, it was the same. It was uh, just uh, had a friend who was a dear friend of mine who was also a combat engineer in the National Guard, and he just uh, really, really talked it up. And, you know, so got in there and found out it, it, it was it was pretty awesome. I very much enjoyed it. But being a combat engineer was definitely uh, not all that he made it out to be. So, yeah, it was okay. But uh, it, it was a great experience. I mean, you, you can't come away from any service, I think, in the military, no matter the branch or your military or your occupation, especially without some kind of, I feel better, I mean, just a better person, no matter what. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, so then you got out of uh, the military. Well, you were doing that. It sounds like were you reserve or you full time and then working at the public works, too? No, just reserves. So, yeah. I, I did, you know, once I finished my training during the both of the summers, then it was from there on, it was, you know, just the normal, you know, weekend a month and two weeks a year and that good stuff for years and years. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cause it said like eight years. So I was just trying to make sure it wasn't, you know, whether it was full time or not. And then you went to Seabrook, uh, is it, what were you doing, uh, at Seabrook once you, you were, you were there and working, what was that? So Seabrook was, was interesting. A, a very dear friend of mine that we started on the same day, the public works director there, uh, Kevin Gray, and we uh, I literally started there. It was a small city, much smaller at the time, 
but you know, you did a little bit of everything. So I spent about 50% of my time in parks, mowing the parks, cleaning the parks, hosing out the restrooms and emptying the trash. And then the other time I spent either reading water meters or filling potholes. And uh, that was what my friend Kevin and I did. We filled potholes together because he was in the streets. And then they, you know, they had a, a retirement come up at the wastewater plant and they said, well, you know, he's, he's kind of halfway not dumb. So they sent me over <laughs> to the wastewater treatment plant. And, uh, and then I've been in these as my primary career ever since. Oh, wow. That's uh, so you got to experience all of it from, from changing trash to, to paint curbs and potholes and everything else. That's uh that's something you don't see every day. And now you're a assistant city manager of a city, which is commendable. Congrats on, on that. That's a, a huge achievement working your way up. And it looks like you uh, went to the big city then you try You were in Houston or you were working there and then you, you were kind of in and out with that or. No, I've um, you know been several cities. I, my first public works director job was the city of South Houston. Uh, not long after Seabrook, I was okay. very young. I think I was at the time. Uh, I know a, a couple of gentlemen that have, have definitely taken that record away from me since. But at the time, I was like it was the youngest public works director in the state. So I think I was 29. I had about 50 employees under me, and then I you know I just continued to work my way up, and then uh, I became. Uh, worked my way up to assistant director in the city of Houston. I was at the city of Houston probably about nine years uh, before I went over to the city of Pearland. But the city of Houston was interesting because uh, it is so large, so massive. I had under myself as assistant director, city of Houston's a little different. The, the assistant directors are what run the division. So a, a wastewater division is run by the assistant director. The water is run by an assistant director. Then you have the deputy director, which in Houston is at one force, and she's overall of what we call Houston water. So there I had 39 treatment plants under me, about just under 800 employees, and then um, 300 and almost 400 pump stations, and uh, fun, fun, fun. Always fun, especially uh, after things like the multiple floods and Hurricane Harvey. That was definitely an eye opener. Um, that that much infrastructure underwater all at the same time it will uh, definitely change your life i could imagine geez that that's that's a lot of people where did you get your leadership experience because that is something that is is key to doing all this is managing people where did you start to learn about leadership uh, most like anybody else i think in this world a lot of it is is uh, by trial and error and being thrown into the fire um, you know, I have done some some training there uh, when I was with the city of Pearland. Now, this was after Houston, but we, you know, I t was able to attend the uh, what they call a lead program at the University of Virginia, uh, Arlington. So, uh, stated for it's a very intense course where you're there for seven days, about 16 hours a day, and you actually have to live on site during that time at their their MBA campus where they actually have their own hotel, and oh, wow. you. You just, uh, but that, that was, I wish I'd had some of that information a little bit earlier in my career, but the lot, uh, I will say the city of Houston, um, city of Houston was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Somebody might be watching this and think I'm sucking up, but it's a very interesting and unique work family, uh, very United Nations, but they're so protective of each other. And I do miss them quite a bit, but they also have a great 
educational program. They have their own, uh, they're a whole on campus called the EB Cape Center where they team up with organizations like the University of Houston, uh, Texas Southern University, and they have a ton of leadership programs. You know, the employees can just go on there just like a college campus and sign up for a class and go take it. And depending on what it is, it doesn't even cost you a thing as long as you're an employee. So there were, there was quite a few leadership programs that we did under the direction of our, our Houston still current director, Carol Haddock, uh, when I was still there. So uh, great programs, but a lot was trial and error. I mean, I'm sure, you know, things like the military and things like that definitely set me up probably for some more leadership capacity, but, um, or capabilities rather, but um, trial and error thrown in the fire. That's uh, that'll, yeah. that'll learn yeah. you something either good or bad. You're going to learn something. You got to learn from your mistakes. You know, that's one thing in leadership. A lot of people have done is make mistakes and you learn from those and you don't do it again. Right. So that's uh, you're going to walk away one way or another. You may you may be walking away from the situation limping, but you're going to walk away with a little more wisdom. A hundred percent. Exactly. Wow. So this is uh, this is you have so many uh you know so many things that we could talk about I'm, I'm trying to put it all together so in houston when you're dealing with the, these emergencies events like hurricanes uh what was the preparation like uh, what is it all hands on deck what's that like uh, houston very much so each city is a little bit different you know, cities at least in texas for sure and most i believe uh, tend to use a, a tiered system for their emergency during hurricane seasons or their uh, whatever their season may be, whether it's a drought season, snow, whatever they're responding to, uh, you know, you have some people that just can't be all hands on deck or they're caring for a loved one or, um, you know, sometimes there's grandparents that are still raising children on their own. They can't be away. But in general, it's Houston is very much all hands on deck, Not that they didn't but you were, you were there. Um, you were, like several of our facilities, like Harvey is a good example, but we had, we had three major floods in Houston back to back. We had the Memorial Day or Tax Day flood in 2015. Just a month later, we had a Memorial Day flood, which put another, the same plant uh, completely submerged again. And then uh, just what, two years later, 2017 was, you know, by then it was Tropical Storm Harvey when it hit Houston, but Hurricane Harvey. So it's, yeah. you know, you prepare, you go through the training. They, they always were very well prepared. But you, you, at the end of the day, you have people that are living at those facilities. So even at Hurricane Harvey with the city of Houston, um, after two weeks, there were still at least two major, what we call major facilities in, in Texas because they're class A, they're above you know, 10 million gallons a day that were still completely inaccessible and uh, supplies were being taken out to the plant operators and shift changes were being done via airboat. So um, wow. that's, that's the nature of the beast. Um, you know, they were yeah. there, they were trying to do what they could. They were trying to keep what little bit of treatment capacity they could, because even though they were away from their loved ones, they were stuck there. They wanted to be anywhere, but there, they were still trying to at least get some chlorinated water going into, you know, Buffalo bio and the streams because they still cared. They still didn't want to release sewage into the environment if they could stop it. So. That's kind of the nature of the beast. We were usually prepared. Houston was good. We, you know, cots, all you can think of the, the meals, they're pretty good about getting all that stuff set up. So um, I was yeah. in the many places I've been over the years, that was, I think they were one of the more prepared. And then uh, things like Harvey still pull your pants up over your head and say, oh, you thought you were prepared. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always challenging. What do you love about 
being a leader? What do you love about this, this work that we do? You know, there was years ago, I probably couldn't have answered that because it was a check, especially when you're younger and you have a young family. And I know some people that are, that definitely can probably uh, relate to that. At the first, it's just a check, no matter what. And then you get to see that you do make a difference. Um, one of the things I used to, it was a, it was a bad joke, but I was a, also a part-time medic for many, for, like you said, I've done everything. Even though I was a wastewater operator and a public servant the whole time, I graduated the police academy because I thought that was cool, never did it. And I, I went and graduated the paramedic program. I did do that for about 10 years with an emergency volunteer 911 ambulance service here near NASA. So where I'm going with that is we used to, um, you know, we had bad ambulance jokes and stuff like that, but you know, you'd, you'd pass another medic and they're like, well, Hey, how are you doing? You know, you know, how's your day? I'm like, well, it's better than this guy. You know, you point to the guy on the stretcher, bad, bad joke, but it opened my eyes later to, I'm not saying, you know, I, I love what our firefighter police, our paramedics do all or, you know, any of our public heroes, but they, at any given time, unless it's some kind of mass casualty incident, they are helping one person at a time. And I'm not going to devalue that. That is an amazing difference to that one person's life. But in our business, and especially if you're an extroverted introvert like myself, who can laugh and talk to a room of 500 people, but also hate people. It's sorry, people that are watching. That's just the way extroverted introverts are. Um, we get drained easy, so we got to disappear. But yeah. we, in our business, especially in the utility side, the public, the health side, and really public works, anything, I mean, dealing with streets, things like that, but especially in the utilities, say Houston, in any given time, I was making a difference along with, you know, the team, the team was making the difference in the lives of about 2.4 million people without needing the spotlight, without even being known. And, and there's a lot of people that love that to make the difference without having to, you know, have the heat. Heroes, right? Or have the record, and there's those that are like, oh, how can they get all the well? You know, they were there, and uh, but yeah. I love that. That's what makes it for me. That's it. Every day, even here in Sweeney, Sweeney is a very small town. We only have about 1,300 connections. The population somewhere around 4,000, depending on the week. And um, but in a given day, especially in some of the current, you know, the situations they're facing with water and wastewater system here, uh, we're making the a difference. Whether the residents think so or not, we're making the difference in the lives <laughs> right. of, you know, around 4,000 people every day, seven days a week. So, yeah, that's why I love this. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I didn't even know you're uh, in the medical, or, you know, ambulance, you know, in a, a medic. I was a volunteer firefighter, so I get that whole, you know, you got to you got to have a sense of humor in that world because it's a it's a yeah. very tough place to work. Right. It's you see nothing but chaos every day right so it's like we gotta yeah, have some we very much become desensitized after some of that humor yeah. um but i do believe yeah. it's that same humor that ga that gallows humor that keeps uh especially i think at the end of the day medics um and firefighters yeah. that are that are acting also as medics because uh they're usually seeing somebody after the police have already passed them on and even a much worse state than what that police officer saw them in and uh, yeah. there's, it's pure survival instinct. You got to have a game. I'm sorry. Anybody out there that's watching this and thinks we make a lot of bad jokes and you're paramedics, we do, but that's how you survive.
you do mentally it, it, it can get to you if you don't uh address it and uh put some humor to it and, and we're not no one's trying to make fun of anybody or you know that kind of thing it's just literally getting through that uh, mental health stuff you know that's another thing it you know you, you hear of now is like mental health in this space of like uh construction and and public works and you know that kind of stuff uh, not sure if you have uh any kind of uh comments on that but that's that's a lot of what's going on now what do you are you having any have you heard or had any experience with that with some of your workers when you you had the 800 employees i i've seen it a lot um in in the, the larger and the smaller communities like the city of houston i know even in our um, 800 employees uh, division we were, we were a very tight family and we during just the time I was there just under a decade I and mean, we lost quite a few people. I mean, we literally from physical health, just dying on the job at the wastewater treatment mm -hmm. plants, things that happened at home, fires, accidents. I mean, accidents on the job. It's just the, the statistics are against you when you're in such a large organization. But that, you know, it was a big deal. I mean, people uh, places, I will say the organizations on the city side are getting a lot better about offering, you know, employee assistance programs that are actually pretty good. I've taken benefit of them myself when I was with the city of Houston. Um, you know, they're completely confidential and I'm not going to sit, tell anybody what we talked about. I used to be one of those guys that absolutely like now psychologists, the psycho mumbo jumbo. And, and finally I just went, I mean, you know, the city of Houston had a great program. They, hey these are you can choose from a lot there was a lot of choices i picked one that i thought had a good ad and <laughs> she turned out to be great but uh, uh just the ability to talk to somebody is a big one because it's it gets limited i mean those those younger folks that are gonna if y'all are getting into this business you should know as you as you walk up the ladder in this business it gets lonelier and lonelier i know that sounds cliche but you have less and less people to talk to once you especially you get to a director level well i can't go talk to pretty much any of like in houston i can't just go talk to any one of those 800 people about something because almost everything is confidential at that point yeah. uh, now when you get in the city management it's even worse you're you know this is in here there's two of us there's the city manager and then there's myself i right now i can talk to her that's about it and you know and i feel for her because who does she talk to she's got to go and talk to her, her husband or uh, luckily you build you know what hopefully you build a big you learn to build a big network and then you talk to other city managers and things like that and that's where organizations like uh, icma and here texas city management association things like that that's where that it's really important to build your network if you're going to be in this business you've got to build it not just with uh, your colleagues that are in your same role but uh, I have a lot of some of my best friends are vendors and consultants and things like that now because I can talk to them because uh, yeah. they have they, they don't really, you know, that was just sit there and let me vent. But yeah. usually yeah. just because they understand confidentiality and they, they don't want to mess anything up down the road, they don't usually tell, you know, right. what we talked about. So you got to network, you got to network and not just within your your career field. So yeah and and that is a great point because everyone needs support everyone needs to check their blind spot so to speak uh you know you can always use that extra just you know boost of like hey does this make is this decision the right one or am i making the wrong one you know it's because you don't want to get down uh into making those decisions where you're making those mistakes and they come back to haunt you later so uh it's good that uh, everybody's you know using that uh, therapy of you know, things like that so that's always good so as you've 
moved up the ladder and you've been growing as an individual, as we all are, as we keep, you know, every year go by, we always keep doing different things. What has been one of your biggest challenges thus far? I think one of my biggest challenges is actually our industry challenge. And it's not just on the utility side, honestly, it's public service period, but I'll speak from a utility perspective is um, finding that next generation of workforce to replace mm. me. Cause that, that, that's my job at this point. Uh, I, again, it may sound cheesy or cliche, but I tell people, you know, I used to do boots on the ground meeting in Houston. We pull about 150 people in the room at a time and about every quarter and talk to them. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. We tell them, so look, you know, I'm playing my history a little bit. So look, I literally started in a hole or, you know, picking up dead animals or doing this. This is what I started doing. But, and, but, I, I was you and you could be me. And that was kind of my saying that I would talk to them. So not only do, you know, can you be me, I'll help you be me. And I need you to be me because I'm not going to be here forever. Um, the yeah. people in our, in Texas, especially like I mentioned my friend, Kevin from the city of Seabrook and others around the area, Jody hooks, he's the public works director for the city of Lake city. We all started, you know, like 18 in the hole. And I've already taken one retirement. I was able to take retirement from Texas municipal retirement system because yeah. of my my time they don't have the the age plus whatever it it, it was i think they bumped it up to 20 boom 20 years you're eligible for retirement regardless of your age so you have a lot of us that are now short you know they or like to joke but short timers i mean they can leave anytime yeah. they want and typically we lose folks like myself we lose all that knowledge to a consultant or a vendor or uh you just you, you stop seeing less and less of us at the monthly association meetings. Uh, they're yeah. not there passing on our knowledge. And right now we're not getting the folks in. We haven't done a, a good job of relaying what it is to be in public service. You know, we, yeah. we still have bad language habits. We, you know, people like the, you know, talk describing wastewater you know, treatment as a reclamation or water resource recovery, or, you know, like, well, I'm going to go out to the poop plant. Okay. Well, you know, somebody that's 17 somewhere that heard you talking about going out to the poop plant, it's not necessarily going to want to come apply for that job. So, Definitely and not. I know I'm not really talking about pencil whipping it, but there's other things. I, uh, I had a monthly column in Water and Waste Digest. I'm a little behind one right now, but where I really talked about the recruiting. And one of the things is, is it's evolved so far our business has, and there's so much there for the younger generations that they were born with technology that myself like older gen x had to learn you know going as it was handed to me had to learn has it handed yeah. me they were born with it um, what we call now the iot of things like our smart meter networks through, through ami things like that you know our, all of our connected grid routers around these little cities we even have them here in sweeney um you know that's that's what your house is. If you've got a smart home, if you've got an Alexa device, if you've got a, a leaf thermostat, uh, that's internet of things. That's the same thing that's running our systems now. And these, these folks have been born with this. They have it, it's an error. They, it makes them ideally suited to be that next generation, to bring them in and show them 3D modeling and which they're used to using screens and laptops and tablets, show them the, the, how it's evolved and that it's not just the poop plant things yeah. like that. So uh, it's on us. Yeah. It's the, the onus is on us to to make this happen. But that's our biggest challenge. And I say I, it's my biggest challenge. I know you asked me mine, but that's why I mentioned it, because my job is to find my replacement and leave the citizens with and the residents with a knowledgeable person to take over. So there's no gap. And we were, you know, we're experiencing some of that in Sweeney right now. There was a huge 
um, some key individuals left all at once and we were immediately had to hire a contractor to run the water system, the wastewater system, because there was an immediate wow. void of knowledge. None of the rest of the staff had the knowledge or licensure or, and that's what all big or small, that's what our utility, our industry is facing. And again, not just utilities. This is uh, you know, city, cities are finding it harder and harder to get city managers, police finding it harder and harder to find police officers. And I won't, won't even go into the political nature of why some of these things happen. It's just a fact. We can't get people into these roles. So that's the problem right now that both myself as personally and as a career-wise, that's what we're facing. It's interesting the way you laid that out because it it's it, technology is replacing exactly what you said. It's like you got the younger generation coming up. Everybody's got a iPhone, a phone, a device in their hands, right? I mean, that's that's the world we're in. But when they walk into, like you said, a wastewater treatment plant, it's it's not that techy. We have a SCADA system and stuff like that, but it's not like you're going out and checking sensors in a sewer system. You know, we don't, we're not at that level yet. You know, we're still trying to implement those things, but we're not there to make it cool and exciting yet. We're just still popping manholes and looking down, oh, oh, still flowing, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I think we, once we get away from that and get more techie uh, with sensors and yeah. we, things are going to be better. Go ahead. No, in general, that's pretty true. I will say again, it's not, it's not apples to apples, but places like, um, you know, the city, the city of Houston and others, yeah, no, you can run it all from your phone in court, including the sensors in the manholes, sensors and grease yeah. traps that the health department looks at. Yeah, no, some people can't actually do that, but you are right as a whole. Okay. Like, even here, yeah, no, we can't, no, we, we still have to kind of go do stuff the hard way here and there, uh, depending on yeah. city's resources and their size. Uh, hopefully one day we will be there though. I mean, there's there's something to be said for still that hands on because you never know when a piece of equipment has stopped working. Uh, something I, I harp on a lot with operators that even do have the best tech, you'll see them. Uh, they get so used to just looking at a screen and they'll keep writing readings down and not click that you know a reading hasn't changed for three days. So then you do need to yeah. go out and pop that manhole and look in there and see if that pump's actually pumping. But uh, right, right. It, it's. Uh, but we could be, though. I mean, I think that we finally evolved to a point in our industry where the resources are there. I think it's now getting our elected leaders and, and, and residents and communities to understand the need for those resources. Yeah. If you had, um, you know, a magic wand and wanted to make changes to the industry, uh, what would a couple of those changes look like for you? Not sure how I would do this as a change, but it's more of an education thing. One of the biggest ones would be, um, I I wish we could change how we discussed and laid out and did water rates, you know, decades ago, because right yeah. now we you know constantly you, you hear everywhere everybody's they they'll pay you know one hundred and fifty one hundred seventy five dollars a month for their um, and well, more more than that, my my bill is like four hundred something a month before my cell phone and my tech. But then a hundred and something a month for the internet and right. You know, but my goodness, you get a, a, a not even. I mean, around here, I've never seen anybody's actual unless you're on a private water system. I've never seen anybody's bill that's over a hundred dollars, and that bill still includes 
a trash pickup, solid waste handling, a, uh, a usually some kind of convenience fee, an extra, like where I live, an extra, they tack on a $5 fee a month that actually helps fund the EMS. And uh, yeah. I mean, you break it all down and your water, my water bill is like $30, $35. And then there's like a $20 fee for the wastewater infrastructure. So, you know, less than $60 after my actual utilities. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, um, they, they, it, it became political and that's where it went wrong. Everywhere I've ever been, city of Pearland, otherwise those great leaders there. But um, especially if you had to live in a city where they have districts and somebody's responsible for a district, because then yeah. you uh, like, no, I'm not going to vote for a water rate increase because then I'll lose. And I've actually heard a council member say that. It's like, oh, right. I'm not going to vote for that because I will lose my, my re-election. And uh, I heard that one in a public meeting, which I just thought was hilarious. But yeah. the, the fact of the matter is those are, are things funded by our water bill that should yeah. be more than our internet. It should be more than when I'm paying for my phone. And we did not keep up with the times. I mean, people are still paying pennies for a gallon of water when you do the math. And uh, But $5 for a bottle of smart water that might indicate that you're not that smart. I don't know. That's personal opinion. Y'all watching Chad's thing. That's my opinion. Okay. Just saying, if you're buying five, spending five dollars on the smart water, maybe not so smart. I love it. Uh, it's Three so cents true. a gallon at your local utility. Go drink tap. <laughs> right. I mean, look, it's something that's water, right? Water keeps us alive, but we don't pay for that. We'd rather pay for what you've said technology devices things like that it's more valuable that something that actually keeps you alive it's it's amazing that these the difference of what's happening out there and and the mis and misinformation or whatever you want to call it that's happening the lack of education but you know having transparency is what we you know we i think and i was curious on this thought do you think having more transparency with the constituents in a a, a, a city Right. If you went to them and said, hey, here's all of our defects of sewers and you know water and, and potholes and things like that. here's how bad it is and lay it out for everybody. Do you think that would help increase the, the awareness and then increase the, the, the ability to get more money for the, you know, from the constituents? I think more transparency would, you know, folks that are paying their bills or paying taxes for say their road road repairs and things like that. I think it's always a good idea. I have actually seen, um, I'll use Pearland as example. We had a great capital improvement program and uh, we, you know, it was laid out in such a way where we, we did that just what you said when we actually were working on doing the water rates and things like that. If we were gonna suggest a, a bond election or if we were gonna do use certificates of, you know, whatever we were gonna use, uh, you know, CO certificates of obligation, what we brought to the open meetings for the residents to look at was super detailed. Like, look, this is exactly like, this is the current step. This pump is going to fail any minute. It is 36 years old. This is what's wrong with it. This is what I need to replace it with something at least like, you know, in, you know, in kind. And uh, this is what I need to replace it. This is what I need to improve it slightly. This yeah. is what I need to improve it a lot. And we laid it out that way. And we, um, during the, the bond elections that I was part of, we never had one that failed. 
um, as long as it was laid out, even even things like on the general fund side, like fire departments, our new, you know, the, the add-ons to the police department, new police officers, when it was laid out, full transparency with exactly what went into that, not just here's what I need per person. No, we laid it out. This is their what it costs for their insurance. This is what it costs for their vehicle, for their body armor. There, you lay all of that out, every penny. Yeah, I feel that they're they're more receptive. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think sometimes it scares them, which yeah, also can help you plays to your fear is a motivator. Hey, we're going to run out of water tomorrow. Approved. <laughs> yeah. Fear is a motivator. That is for sure. And nobody wants to be uh, in the spotlight as far as not providing water to their citizens. That's a, that's a big problem uh, yeah. for sure. So, Clarence, this has been amazing. We're already out of time, um, but I uh, want people to be able to get a hold of you. What's the best way to reach out if they have any questions? Yeah, so they can just, you know, Google my name on LinkedIn. I'm sure pop right up. As I, like you mentioned, I'm super active on there. And then the other is my email. They'll feel free to use it if you're going to drop it somewhere. Otherwise, it's real easy. It's just cwitwer at sweeneytx.gov. So very easy. But you can find me anywhere out there on the interwebs as a some very old friend of mine likes to keep calling it and i keep trying to i keep trying to correct him and i finally gave up but so now i just kind of like it now i think it's cool i'm like it's the interwebs it's the yeah. interwebs it kind of like a that uh, offshoot or something you know? <laughs> right right well it's been a pleasure man thank you so much for joining me um it, it's been an honor and um yeah i'd love to maybe connect again later down the road something comes up if you uh want to chat about it and um you know we can connect that'd be great yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Oh, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. We hope that this show brought you some insight on relevant topics within the infrastructure world. Please join us every two weeks on Tuesday for the next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please set up a 15-minute interview with your host at calendly.com slash chadsmeltzer. 